This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Today, we're sitting down with Monty Hoffman, the founder of Hoffman & Associates and developer of The Wharf. What are you drinking? What's oh, dinner time. We're sitting at Whiskey Charlie, a rooftop bar at The Wharf, a $2.5 billion mixed-use development in southwest D.C. Phase 1 opened in October 2017, and it includes two office buildings, three hotels, apartments, condos, public piers, bars, shops, and a 6,000-seat concert venue. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks. yeah. Thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you, BizNow. Long before he was one of the most prominent developers in D.C., Monty's first experience in real estate was on his father's construction sites when he was eight years old. After later graduating from engineering school, he moved to D.C., slept on a friend's couch for four months, and got a job at the Donahoe Companies. But it wasn't long before he decided to strike out on his own. I was scared to death. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so I had no idea what I was doing. I bought a townhouse on 16th Street. Mm-hmm. This is when there was a mass exodus of people moving out of the city. Uh, it was 1993. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the crack uh, wars that were going on and all the other stuff. The good news is I had very little competition, almost right. no competition. Uh, but um, anyway, I, I, I saw what I thought was an opportunity and um, started with a townhouse and, you know, went from there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember anything about that first project or the first couple projects? That you know, any moments where like, man, maybe this is a real, a real oh, mistake. Oh yeah, there's a lot of times you have self doubt. Mm. Uh, there's several moments in it. One time, the, the the bank, which I won't mention because it was overall a good experience, but the president of the bank came to visit. By the way, every bank in the city rejected me, but one, and mm. I think they just didn't know any better. They made a mistake and they mm-hmm. accepted. You know, they gave me a loan. So, but. Thank God they gave me a loan on that first uh, uh, townhouse. Anyway, so uh, the president comes out and was, wants to do an inspection, and I want so much to impress them, you know, and turned to me towards the end and said, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? And, of course, you know, fake it till you make it. I said, no, no, I've got this. She said, uh, well, you're never going to get $200 a square foot for a condo. Yeah. I want to tell you that. I said, well, I'm going to try. So now people would kill for that. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah. Anyway, uh, story ends very well. Mm-hmm. Sold for well over two hundred dollars a square foot. Did you even back then? I mean, do you have some sort of idea about when it, things might turn? I mean, obviously you were always a big believer in the city, so yeah, I imagine right. you thought things right. would turn around eventually. I, I just felt like Sixteenth Street that was working, and the nice thing about the first couple of years was I was literally working with my hands, you know, with tools, you know, building these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, then hiring some subcontractors and then eventually some staff. But it allowed me to see firsthand, you know, the people coming in and out. And I remember going to open houses at first, and I would go incognito, mm-hmm. which is easy to do when nobody knows who the <laughs> hell you are anyway, right? right yeah. So I could walk around, well, who's that guy? It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I'd, I'd walk around, people were, uh, you know, commenting, you know, about you know different things. Oh, I would have done this differently. I would have done that differently. So I was able to get raw information early, and 
and uh, tried to use that as lessons learned for the next and continued building it. And so uh, uh, moving over to Logan Circle, uh, which at that time uh, there was nothing happening in Logan Circle and I was able to buy Logan 1 and 2, move that into a condominium building, which is it's just a beautiful historic structure built by Ulysses S. Grant Jr. I wonder if he got a sweetheart deal there. <laughs> he probably did. In fact, the, the rumor has it that that was supposed to be a circle for the generals, you know, and mm. it didn't work out that way, mm. you know. Uh, so the son was not a good speculator, apparently. Yeah. But you could see it uh, in real time. I could see the people and the interest on these open houses and the things that we were doing and how uh, the public was reacting. And then um, it was moving more from sort of romantic townhouse redevelopment to uh, lofts. And uh, unlike other cities who have a long, large industrial base, Washington, D.C. doesn't have that. So we had to, had to create the loft, you know, right. loft look, which that was the exposed concrete and duct, uh, you know, work and concrete floors and all that. This is in the 90s you were doing? This was in the 90s, and it was uh, very uncommon yeah. back then, very uncommon. So people were asking, well, when are you going to finish it? And I said, no, <laughs> that's it. What do you think, you know? And so, you know, lessons learned, you just can't listen to everybody. Mm -hmm. you sometimes just go with your gut. But the market loved it. The market is my boss. As you continue to build, you know, bigger and bigger projects, right. going from the uh, townhouses to condos, what gave you the confidence to you know, I guess this is back in, in 05 to decide, mm -hmm. like, I want to do something, you know, really, truly on a whole nother scale. So we were doing some more sophisticated stuff like Chase Point up in Friendship and other parts and um, started looking to take it to a next level. I was concerned about <clears throat> oversupply on uh, and the heated market. Um, buying the land so I started going after more government controlled property because it wasn't just about the purchase it was about placemaking and other things that you would do to qualify to uh, to buy the property or to earn the right to develop the property so it was sort of a hedge to what I, I thought was really high pricing on the wholesale side you know trying to find developable sites right and so Bethesda uh, I joined with Doug Furstenberg and his Stonebridge group we went after part of Bethesda, which was a really nice, I, I call these sort of uh, 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 city villages, right? It's like a bigger city, but a village inside it that really draws people. And yeah. I, it, it really uh, raised my you know, curiosity and uh, uh, interest in doing things of that to, to take it to another level. And so anyway, that worked out really well uh, with uh, Pottery Barn and the, the, the uh, you know the Darcy and the flats and all that we did over in there uh, and then same time I went after the, uh, the wharf. In 2006 Monty and a partner beat out 16 other bidders to win the rights to redevelop the southwest waterfront but that was the beginning of a long and painful process. They had to buy land from six neighboring owners. The Great Recession hit. His initial partner went bankrupt. Plus, the complexity of the project meant he needed far more than just a zoning commission to approve it. It was actually four acts of Congress, um, and then it was eight council votes to uh, change legislation, some of which to allow us to put narrower streets in than I wanted to. They were illegal, and a bunch of other different moves and adjustments. And then I needed a $200 million uh, TIF pilot. Uh, and. Um, that was the largest in city history. So, yeah, that was, a, that was an uphill climb right there going through all that. You know, it's one thing if that's 
a related or a Heinz who have done stuff like this all over right. the world. Yeah. But for someone who had just been building condos, essentially, to get into it's like what the hell? <laughs> What's going on with that? What's up with that? Right? Yeah. Do you think if you had if you know if you had been one of these more institutional players, it might have gone quicker? It I mean, kind of worked in a way that is uh, maybe not the norm, um, but maybe it's the only way it would have worked because I didn't really know any better. I, I was a very neighborhood-centric developer, so the first thing that I did was I approached the neighborhood and explained you know, the plans and what we wanted to do and formed a relationship with the ANC and all the stakeholders, all the churches, everybody around. And so we ended up with, I think, is uh, well over a thousand meetings with stakeholders, neighbors, and everybody. I don't know that a large uh, institutional firm would have done that with, uh, you know, had the same approach that we, we did. Mm -hmm. But anyway, what that allowed us to do is to create credibility with the neighborhood and, and start to build a relationship with the neighborhood. So uh, I didn't want to have chain stores and chain restaurants or the corporate thing. Um, so everything was almost a contrarian approach to it. And I kind of feel like that's part of the secret sauce here you yeah. know, that, that we've got. That all the buildings are different, different architects. Um, you have a lot of... Uh, chef-owned restaurants and things that are here, uh, a lot of unique offerings and stuff. And so it's really an outcome of not having that global command of everything or, you know, a large institutional player. Can you tell me about your roadshow once your partner went bankrupt? As I've heard stories about, I think you flying to China and trying to, um, you know, trying to get, get a partner. Any, any like fun stories from the road, just desperately trying to convince someone to give it, you hundreds was, of millions of dollars? Yeah, those are the dark years. That was the loneliest time of my life, you know I mean? So um, we're, in a, we're in the Great Recession, uh, and my partner goes bankrupt, and then a couple of sort of, I would call, sub-partners underneath, they were like, well, we're not putting any capital in, he's going bankrupt. So uh, what I had earn, worked, you know, to earn for the you know, prior 15 years uh, or, or so, you know, I was getting, you know, potentially ready to lose, you know, right. and, 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 and self-funding. Um, there was no other choice. And actually, it was during that time that uh, myself and uh, Amir Hamour with Madison flew to China. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was looking at all angles. I was, I was in uh, Canada. I was in New York, in China, you know. And the, the, the funny thing is, we, we had, we, we actually, we had suitors, you know, mm -hmm. they wanted to come in with the capital, but they all had too big of price tags. They wanted too much control, or they were formulaic in how they approached it uh, and, and, and wanted to have certain things a certain way. So we were um, holding out for the right partner. Was that hard? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's really meetings. hard when you're, you know, you're, at some point you're going to run out of cash, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, that's not easy uh, to sleep at night, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, this is real life, and you know, you can lose it. When I say right partner, what I mean by that is a partner who isn't on a seven-year fund that you, you know, as soon as you're done, which is a typical merchant build model, you know, you, you get everything stabilized, and that's the highest point in terms of your, your risk-reward component. You sell, and you sell to a core investor coming in, and that's that. You, you go off in the sunset. Well, I believe that the value of the wharf 
to, you know, socially and economically will grow for the next 10 years. I, I do believe that as the, the DMV learns it and we learn how best to utilize this mile long shoreline, you know, in our nation's capital, it's going to continue to grow in terms of value and social impact. So uh, I wasn't interested in slicing and dicing. I think the first time we ever talked, I remember the thing that really struck me is that obviously there's two phases. Yeah. But the, your average developer for something like this size, it would be eight phases, nine phases. Yeah, and right, you right. made the decision to build, what, seven buildings all at once? Yeah. Seven big buildings. Yeah, say it's about more. a billion and a half one yeah. time. And which, you know, that's a very risky proposition, but yep. clearly, you know, there was a method to your madness. So was that always the plan? You're like, this has to open at once, critical yeah. mass. Yeah, that was like madness is probably a good uh, <laughs> description. I believe if we would have just put like one hotel on it or one apartment building on it or sort of tiptoed into it, uh, very timid-like, um, it would have never received its potential because Southwest for two generations has been known for what it is, you know, or was, I should say, you know, and that paradigm had to be crushed. It had to be substituted with something better and bigger that people really believe. And that wouldn't have occurred with just an apartment building or a store or a couple of small things tiptoeing mm -hmm. forward. We needed to change the paradigm and you can only do that with uh, what I call the Big Bang uh, theory. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, going forward on that, so um, that's proven up, I think, and we uh, were very, um, I was very uh, um, stubborn on the finish date, that it all had to be finished at it by a certain time, so much so I put, you know, the big countdown clock on Main Avenue that everybody, you know, was pissed off at me about by doing that. You know, the workers were upset, you know, architects, contractors, and everybody. They're like, why the hell do you do that? So um, even my uh, great friend and old partner, Pete Nazarod, who came back to help to um, help push and drive, you know, the wharf, mm -hmm. you know, um, he, I said, look, Pete, I want you to drive the, the schedule. Help me drive the schedule. And he said, fine. So he, he bought a little condo over here at 525. And uh, I didn't realize this. I wish I was this smart. But um, this huge clock that I had out on the street was actually right direct sight to his condo, his bedroom window actually. So even at night he would see the countdown as, you know, 264 days, you know. And uh, he, he was not happy about that. <laughs> but the whole city really, really it joined in on uh, that one flash date on October 12th. Mm -hmm. even, even, even David Growl came, you know, earlier, you know, checking it out. Because we, we put the Foo Fighters there the first day, you yeah. know. And, he said, you're really going to get this done? I said, Dave, we got this. So don't quit worrying about it. Do your thing. Come back. Show up. It's, it's done. I promise. Well, he's a local, right? So he knows he how things local. usually oh, operate. Well, yeah. <laughs> he is a, he is total local, right? He brought his mom by. So, so very cool. Yeah. He's a great guy. What was, uh, what, so, uh, what was October 11th like? Yeah, I was at the very end, obviously. And it was just uh, at that point, you know, it was just polish it, ready to go. Hope their lights actually go on. Mm. The concert, you know, we really opened it up. And I was worried that, well, shit, I, I hope that the lights don't go off or some, something that I might have screwed up mm. shows up here tonight. And it, fortunately, it didn't. It's interesting because, you know, you come out of the great the Great Recession, you know, the, the economy finally turns around, you get your partner, you get shovels in the ground, and you have, how many square feet of retail are in this project? Uh, we've got about 100,000 feet. And 
you know, as you're building this, retail just completely goes upside down. Yeah, that was right? another one. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're opening 100,000 square feet of retail at the same time. Like you said, you didn't go for credit tenants, you went for, for local tenants, there's right. a lot of restaurants. So, I, I guess, you know, how did you think about planning the retail here? Obviously, it's a heavy food influence, yeah. but did that did that strategy shift uh, you know, at, in, among construction? We moved from recognizing, look, we're not going to be a fashion mall. We're not going to be like anything really the current paradigm shows. We're going to move towards food and beverage and experiences and uh, sort of uh, uh, impulse purchases and spontaneous things and artsy things. That's where we, th I thought, we thought things were going. And so uh, we, uh, partway through that process, went more towards food and beverage and, and, and music too. We, mm -hmm. we needed the catalysts. You mentioned a couple things that made me think of, obviously there's no perfect analogy to the wharf, but I would say analogous projects, one in New York and Hudson Yards, which yeah. I know the wharf is constantly compared to, and Hudson Yards has opened recently and endured its fair share of criticism, and Capital Crossing did the thing that you avoided, which is they built one building, and then they're building another building. Those institutional builders have their formula, and they followed it. And you know, they, they have not received a warm reception. I mean, what did you think about that, considering you probably know what they went through in the process, just the extraordinary effort just to get to opening date? Well, I mean, we're, we're watching, and I'm very, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, badmouth the others uh, on that. They just have a different approach to things. That's, again, what we, we rejected. It's very insightful where you talk about large institutional players and more of the formulaic, you know, approaches to to uh, to the development, and you know they have their approach, and you know I've got mine, and I I like ours better. I do think you know people long to connect. You know, I think they they they, they want experiences, they want things to be real around them, they want intimacy, they want you know to be in more crowded spaces as opposed to uh, large scale, you know. Uh, um, grand spaces where they feel small. I think you know, people want to be part of the urban theater and uh, to to have friendship and make make things real. Coming up, Monty discusses what's coming to the wharf in phase two, and what he's planning as a follow up. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. In phase two, Hoffman and his partner, Madison Marquette, are building a Pendry boutique hotel, two trophy office buildings, a mixed income apartment building, and the piece de resistance, ultra luxury condos. We have a high-end uh, condominium building uh, designed by Raphael Vinoli, and uh, it's uh, sculptured architecture that is, uh, it's, it's gonna be amazing. The city hasn't seen anything like this. Uh, so I'm very, very proud of what we're creating with that. 
and uh, how it will situate uh, inside uh, the wharf. Um, it's, it's only 96 units in it. Um, it has an incredible wellness center inside of it. It's got, uh, you know, a elevator for your car that just drops down. It's very, very, it's got a cool oh, a little taste of Miami. Yeah, a little, yeah, no, Raphael got a little bit carried away. And <laughs> so, but, you know, but we, we, uh, uh, we've got a, we got an outcome that I'm very uh, excited about. Uh, How did, um, you know, like I said, yeah. since you live and work here yeah. every day, how does that experience, experiencing this, how has that informed phase two now that this is open? I think um, it, helps, it helps me in terms of uh, speaking from residential experiences, uh, understanding better, uh, design nuances from, from private to public. You know, there's, there's small moves that have big impact, separating private to public. Um, Easy transitions, whether it's from elevators coming directly to your condominium and straight down onto the wharf street, or the car elevator that I just mentioned, um, or services uh, that are almost hospitality related. And I think we're moving more towards that anyway. It's a la carte, but there's a lot of interesting uh, things that can uh, save you time. Uh, and do certain things for you and to create a lifestyle that is conducive for someone who is extremely busy or active or energetic or whatever, you know, to help, help uh, support that. Um, also, I think the mix with uh, the retail on the cafe zones, the buskers and the entertainment, you know, again, refinements there and what we can do and do better. Um, you know, there's a whole list I could go on. Even just mixing the office and making sure that there's a really convenient uh, coffee shop, you know, on the first floor that's like nice, high-end like coffee that people can get, bakery, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, even uh, even a barber, you know, nearby, you know, th those sort of things in a small grocer, right? You know, things that I know that we need. Uh, so, yeah, all those will be uh, um, uh, placed inside of Phase Two. We also have a couple waterfront buildings. Uh, that uh, will be restaurants and sort of bar, microbrewery, um, a couple of different things that'll be fun right on the water. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a real cool mix of, you know, sophistication and fun. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, uptight, snooty, it's not exclusive or anything. It's a real community, but it's a real mix of, I think, both ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. like that and everything in between. So you mentioned you have Williams and Connolly yeah. set up for, for phase two. Right. Uh, what you wouldn't have given for uh, what a three hundred thousand square foot lease in yeah, twenty sixteen right. that would have, in phase one right? that would have been great. Yeah. Um, so I mean, can you speak to that like complete one eighty to where you know I know leasing up that off that first couple office buildings must have been right. a real challenge, uh -huh. and obviously I think they're both leased up mm -hmm. uh, now. So just like <laughs> feeling that in the market of like having to hustle, and then all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> shovels are barely in the ground and give a full building lease for, for phase two. Yeah, I mean, in the very beginning, our performance were modest because we expected only because the experts told us. Law firms are never going to come down Law here. firms are never coming here. You'll get some, maybe some trade associations, you know, that's what you'll get. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, so we set, I set my numbers up on trade associations and the like, and, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the first ones that came in the door was uh, APA, 
okay, trade association, but I mean, they're the number one in psychiatry in, in the world, you know, and they're going to put their headquarters here. Yeah. And uh, Saul Levine was a great guy and everybody, and I just sort of uh, struck a relationship with, and, you know, they came. And then you know, very soon we had Fish and Richardson come in, one of the, uh, I'd say probably the best, one of the highest top five for sure of intellectual property firms in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. They decided to move in, that law firm. And we had a couple headquarters in, and a business roundtable moves in, you know. And so we have all these that are, you know, coming uh, uh, into it. And uh, then it almost becomes sort of a club. We, we go from sort of the outcast sort of fringe, as what was projected by others, to the club that everybody wants to be in. And I want to come back to something you said at the beginning, which is, like, how much time you spent with the community yeah. around here. And I think one thing that probably gets taken for granted, you know, in most of the, I would say the DMV, is that there was a community here. Yeah. And there's a pretty significant community, you know, right to the east of us here. Yes. And a lot of people probably don't even realize that that exists or has existed okay. or, or whatever. Um, you know, how has it been since this is open working with them, you know, knowing that, you know, there's these old condo buildings, people have been living there for 20, 30 years, right. and all of a sudden their neighborhood changed basically overnight around them. So how has it been now that you're open, continuing to work with those groups, because you have those relationships in the lights community. We we uh, we don't take it for granted. It's not a uh, you know relationship isn't like a transaction. It's the opposite. You know, relationship is only as good as your last you know few discussions, and you've got to earn that every day. And so we appreciate that, and uh, we're very um, in, much engaged uh, with the community. Uh, and so uh, even phase two, you know, we're. We're being we're inconveniencing them right now. I know this because you know our, we have dump trucks that are going out onto the roads and we're hammering and we're doing all this, you know, uh, messy work and um, you know uh, and they're putting up with that. And I appreciate that. So we uh, we 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 try to be very uh, predictive in terms of letting them know what we're we're doing. And then uh, many times they'll say, Hey, can you change this or change that? And, and they absolutely have a seat at the table, and we talk with them, and we try to mitigate the nuisance we're creating, and we, we get that we're a nuisance. But we'll get through that, and I feel like, uh, you know, the relationship uh, couldn't be stronger with everybody. But we recognize every day that we've got to earn it, and mm-hmm. so uh, we go on with that. And it's not just the land side, it's water side, too. We have 94 uh, people, liveaboards, that, uh, over there. Really? Uh, gangplank? Here? Yeah, they're right over there. Um, and so we've had to jockey them around, and we've got uh, people, the living board over here at the Capital Yacht Club, and we, we work them and jockey them around. And so it's like a large puzzle, you know, which you're trying to fit out around, and you're trying not, you know, try to limit the disruption to everybody while, you know, you, you do the inevitable work here that needs to get done. And so uh, no, I think it's great, and I think they see that, you know, we're not perfect. Nobody is, but you know we we we're, we're earnest, and you know uh, that it's always working in good faith with everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the outcome when we're done is going to be uh, it's going to be extraordinary with phase two adding uh, to what the wharf is already uh, what already is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, so 2023 it will mark 30 years since the the founding of uh, of your company. Um, you know, phase two, I, there's no more land here, I think, for you, for you guys to build, and that'll it'll be wrapped up. 
Do you have somewhere in mind for you personally about where you'll be uh, professionally uh, at the end of phase two? Uh, does that seem like an end point for you or does that seem just like another? No, I, 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 I never thought about it being 30 years. That's really good uh, connection there. But, you know, we, we, we love Buzzards Point. We love the other areas over here in the district. We love the other parts uh, of uh, some other uh, states that we're looking at, you know. But it's a similar, you know, concept approach to these sort of village cities and, and things that we, we think we're, we're pretty good at. And we, we want to go and we want to do that more. And uh, for me personally, I'm excited about the team. As I said, I've got exceptionally talented uh, people. And, you know, it's time to let others do more. As, you know, I have people that have been with me 20-some years now, and I've been 15 years, and I've got lots of people over 10 years. And so they have uh, exceptional talents, in many cases, more than me. And so I'm, I'm excited about letting them take on more and more and me, you know, backing off a little bit. And uh, so... Enjoying your waterfront condo. Yeah, enjoying that, enjoying watching them, you know, excel, enjoying, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, my own family. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Monty, thank you so much for, for the time. I really appreciate it. Ethan, I, I really appreciate your curiosity and I appreciate our discussion. Thank you. Miriam Hall is the creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor.